And welcome back to Bengal Bites, your home for real, raw, unfiltered talk about the Cincinnati Bengals and the NFL. I'm your host, Derek. This is episode 18. This is the week eight preview, where the Cincinnati Bengals go on the road at 3-3 three and three to take on the San Francisco 49ers at 5-2. and two. This is going to be a late afternoon 425 game on CBS. This is the big matchup of the week. Jim Nance and Tony Romo are going to be calling this game. All the eyeballs are going to be on this from around the country. These are two Super Bowl contending teams, 49ers and Bengals. These teams were in the conference championship games last year. So this is a big matchup for a lot of reasons. And in this episode, we're going to do our complete preview, everything to watch for in the game, player matchups, anything kind of backstory. But if you're brand new to this show, check out episode zero, where I gave you a little bit more backstory. But kind of like I said in the intro, this is real raw, unfiltered talk, meaning this is not a contrived, manufactured show. And part of that is last week was the bye week. So there was no week seven action going on, nothing, no games to report on. I watched the games but I didn't record an episode for week seven because there wasn't a whole lot for me to say. I was feeling a little bit down because all the other teams in the AFC North won their games. So that put the Bengals alone in last place in their division. The Ravens have five wins. The Browns and the Steelers are four and two. So the Bengals lost a game on all their other divisional opponents. They have some ground to make up. So going into this week, Zach Taylor has been saying this is November football. And previously, going into the game against the Cardinals, they said it was must win. You know, now they're not saying it's must win, but now it's November football. It's serious. You know, it's kind of like playoff atmosphere. It, they know that they're behind the eight ball a little bit. You know, it's not over yet. But if you look at the records from around the AFC, last place is two wins. The Bengals have three wins. It's kind of crazy how. Every team in the conference at least has two wins already, and it's only we're going into week eight. It's pretty crazy how much parity there is in the conference. Speaking of crazy, I mean, there's a lot of crazy things that go on in the NFL every week, it seems like, but we also saw backup quarterbacks playing in head-to-head games. We saw the Bears and the Raiders. They had Brian Hoyer playing against Tyson Badgett, in his first start in the NFL, he actually won. He's a quarterback, Division Two out of Shepard. And if you have a chance, go check out the Tyson Badgett getting the game ball ceremony just so you can check out his tattoos that he's got, like, all over his chest, all over his back. It's impressive tattoos on Tyson Badgett for a rookie out of D2. I don't know how you afford tattoos like that. But that was a good story to see him coming in for the injured Justin Fields for the Bears. Justin Fields dislocated his throwing thumb, so that's painful. He's Who knows how long he's going to be out, because if you dislocate your thumb on your right hand, you're, you're right-handed, it's going to be hard to grip the ball, I would imagine. So anyway, then the Colts and the Browns also had Gardner Minshew going up against P.J. Walker for most of the game, because Deshaun Watson started the game for the Browns, but he went one for five with one interception and another pass that looked like it it definitely should have been intercepted, but it was just barely went incomplete because it touched the ground after a further review. But Watson got evaluated for a concussion. They ruled him cleared to play, so he didn't have a concussion. But after such a horrendous start to the game, 
Browns coach just decided to keep him out for the rest of the game. So P.J. Walker finished out the game for the Browns. That was actually the second win that the Browns had with P.J. Walker in the game. And it's looking like P.J. Walker is going to get another start here. Deshaun Watson is still out, and it's crazy how Browns fans, you know, they committed to this player. They committed to Deshaun Watson, guaranteed salary. Now he's like barely playing in the game and when he does play he's terrible so just really I mean if we can take any small victory yes the Browns won the game but at least Deshaun Watson continues to look horrible so at least we have that minor minor victory as I mentioned Zach Taylor said it's November football and they have been successful in November recently the past two Novembers they've gone five and one including 3-0 on the road. Including this 49ers game, they're going to have the, the Bills, the Texans, the Ravens, and the Steelers in November. And we know the Bills are good. The Texans are looking a lot better than a lot of people had anticipated. The Ravens looked real good beating up on the Lions last week. That was ugly. I think it was 28 to nothing before the Lions even had a first down in the game. So that's scary when we see the Ravens hitting on all cylinders. They are a force to contend with. And then the Steelers, they have just hung around. Somehow the defense has kept them in the game long enough, and the offense for the Steelers has come alive late in the game. Kenny Pickett to George Pickens scored just enough points to win all these games. It's going to be tough for the Bengals to squeak out some games, so it's going to be a tough November. But the reason I brought up the thing about the backup quarterbacks playing in these games was because it just illustrates the point that it is possible to win football games in the NFL with your backup quarterback. And if you put them in there, you should have some expectation that they can play at a competitive level. Unlike what the Bengals seem to have thought about their quarterback in the first four weeks, where even though Joe Burrow was clearly injured, they didn't put their backup, Jake Browning, into the game whatsoever to give him any kind of action. It's going to be interesting to see. Well, actually, it's not going to be interesting. Hopefully, none of the backup quarterbacks ever have to play, and it's just going to be Joe Burrow from here on out. And with this bye week, Joe Burrow got that extra week of rest. So hopefully the calf is a distant memory. It's just all in the rearview mirror. We won't have to worry about that for the rest of the season. And he can be 100% or as close to 100% as he can be. And we won't even think about it. He's not going to be on the injury report. Smooth sailing from here on in. But speaking of injuries, the biggest story going into this game without a doubt is the injury. And before we get to the that, so what happened for the 49ers in their previous game? And the 49ers played on Monday Night Football against the Vikings. And it was a primetime game. Everybody in the country was watching. And it's kind of strange how the Bengals were on their bye week, meaning they didn't play at all last week. They get a complete two weeks or 14 days to rest. Joe Burrow gets that 14 days of rest. He said he just sat on the couch, ate food, Stayed off his feet, watched some football, but otherwise didn't do anything too stressful. The 49ers, they played on Monday night in Minnesota, and then they flew back. So they got back to San Francisco 
early Tuesday morning. So they get back early Tuesday morning, and they've got to play again Sunday afternoon. So they're basically getting like five and a half days of rest. The Bengals get 14 days of rest. You can say whatever you want, but that's, I would say, definitely a competitive advantage for the Bengals, given the fact they have that much time to prepare and get ready for the 49ers, rest their bodies, rest their minds. I don't know if there's any proven fact that a team coming off of their bye week is more likely to win or lose. I don't know that that's been proven, but you just got to think like physically their bodies have got to feel better. Who knows if that's going to lead to better results, but we've got to think that T Higgins was injured. Orlando Brown pulled his groin. You know, Joe Burrow was battling the calf. A lot of other guys are probably battling little nicks and scrapes here and there. I know DJ Turner looked like he dislocated his finger. So all those kind of things add up. It's going to be good for the Bengals to get back out there. Now you could say, well, you know, maybe they got soft. If everybody just went home and sat on the couch like Joe Burrow and didn't really do anything, maybe they got out of shape a little bit. So we'll have to see, you know, the Seahawks, they were coming in off of their bye when they came in to play the Bengals at Pecor last week. Maybe it's a similar situation. They're coming off their bye. They had been playing well. Then coming off the bye, didn't play that well against the Bengals. So you never know. But what I was going to say is after that Monday night football game, when the 49ers landed, their quarterback, Brock Purdy, reported to the team that he started feeling concussion-like symptoms. So he went through the whole post-game interview process. Like they show he's got videos online where he's answering questions very you know lucidly doesn't look like he's having any problem answering questions giving a totally coherent response back and it seemed like he remembered all the plays didn't have any you know misrememberings or anything like that but just maybe some lightheadedness dizziness who knows what kind of symptoms he was feeling when he landed in san francisco tuesday morning so that was a story that was going around in the news was well he's in the concussion protocol and that's kind of a nebulous thing, concussion protocol. And they say, well, there's steps to the protocol. you got to advance to the steps and so many steps. And there's cognitive tests that they give you to measure how you're performing versus the baseline, basically. like, And whether or not your scores are deviating from your baseline performance or whether you are back to normal. And if you pass through all those cognitive tests, then you should be able to get back on the field. Most people would expect Purdy, since he was out or had a concussion Tuesday, the game's coming up Sunday, it's unlikely for him to be able to play. But going throughout the week, he was making progress where he did not practice Wednesday, then Thursday he was limited, then Friday he was a, Brock Purdy was a full participant in practice. So if he passes through all of the concussion tests and protocols that he has to do, the coach, Kyle Shanahan, said he expects him to play in the game on Sunday. And we'll find that out, or the 49ers will find out Saturday. I don't know. They probably will try to keep it a secret as long as possible about who the actual quarterback is going to be, just to keep a little bit more of a guessing game so the Bengals don't know for sure whether it's going to be Brock Purdy or the backup Sam Darnold. For the Bengals, I mean, it does make a difference because Brock Purdy is obviously the starter, but Sam Darnold isn't that much of a drop-off because Brock Purdy was the last pick in the draft of 2022, like seventh round, absolute last pick. Sam Darnold 
is an older quarterback. He was, but he was the third overall pick in what was it, 2018? I think it was the year before Burrow. So he went to the Jets, third overall, first round. So he's got the talent, like physically for sure. He may actually be a better athlete and have a better throwing arm than Brock Purdy. It's just the decision making and running the offense and the timing and that kind of thing that Sam Darnold doesn't have on Brock Purdy. Either way, I don't think the Bengals are going to have to change their defensive game plan for either one of those quarterbacks. It's going to be basically the same offense for the 49ers, no matter which quarterback is in there. And so far this season, the 49ers have had a substantially better offense than the Bengals. One of the highest scoring offenses in the league. They started off very strong their first few weeks. They were beating teams like 40 to nothing. They beat the Steelers and they're putting up points on uh, the Cowboys, all kinds of teams. They've kind of slowed down as of late. They've lost their last two games and they lost to the Browns. And the Browns, you know, the Browns have been dominating everybody. The Browns defense, I should say, has been holding teams to record low amounts of yardage and the, the game against the 49ers was also a rain game similar to the Bengals game and we saw Brock Purdy struggling in a similar way to Joe Burrow in the rain where the ball was slipping out of his hands sometimes even worse where he couldn't grip the ball at all very similar type of game and they ended up losing where their kicker 49ers kicker rookie kicker third round pick missed a 41-yard field goal that would have won the game. He's been having some struggles. He also missed a 40-yard field goal against the Vikings on Monday Night Football. Third-round pick, not quite as solid as the Bengals' fifth-round pick in Evan McPherson. But staying on the 49ers' offense, they are primarily a running team. Brock Purdy and or Sam Darnold they're going to be trying to hit the open receivers, but it all starts with the running game. And Christian McCaffrey is their star running back. They traded for him last year from the Carolina Panthers. And he's originally a West Coast guy. He went to Stanford, which is obviously close to the 49ers back home. And he is going into this game with a touchdown in 16 consecutive games, which is one game short of the NFL record of Lenny Brooks had 17 games with a touchdown in a row and he doesn't want to Christian McCaffrey doesn't want to talk about that but obviously that's going to be on his mind he's been dealing with an oblique injury but he has not missed a game and you've got to think maybe that record has a little bit to do with it and so whatever he has to do to get a touchdown you know the Bengals don't want to give up that record but I'm sure he's going to be playing through any kind of pain he has to to get that record and when he gets down on the goal line, look for the 49ers to give him the ball for sure. So that's 23. Number 23 is Christian McCaffrey. And the running game, one of the big drivers of the running game, is their all-pro left tackle, number 71, Trent Williams. He is legendary. People talk about Trent Williams like the second coming of Anthony Munoz who is the Bengals Hall of Fame left tackle, widely regarded as the best left tackle in NFL history. People talk about Trent Williams as the best left tackle currently in the NFL. 
they asked Orlando Brown, the Bengals left tackle, about Trent Williams. And he described him as basically being a refrigerator on wheels. So that's pretty much what Trent Williams is. He's about 6'5". They list him at 320 pounds. I'd be surprised if he were 320 pounds. He looks, you know, 330, 340 at least. But just a big, massive, yeah, like he said, you know, boxy, refrigerator-looking like guy. And when he gets on the move, he can just take out like two or three people at a time in the running game. So when he they do a lot of running behind him or they'll pull him from the left over to the right side and run behind him. He can get a lot of traction going on in the run game. And he missed last game, Monday Night Football, with a sprained ankle. And he's 35 years old. It's not easy for players his age to just bounce back from injuries. He's got a history of ankle injuries, but and he didn't practice at all. So unlike Brock Purdy, the quarterback, who did get in some practice in a limited fashion, and Brock Purdy's a second-year player, a younger guy. Trent Williams, he's 35. They know that he can go in and really on no practice at all and get the job done if he needs to. Ideally, he would get some practice, but it's going to be a game-time decision, they said. It's going to be all the way up. You know, Maybe he'll get like a game, uh, game day warm-up, see how he feels, but if he's not able to play, that will be a big advantage for the Bengals because he, Trent Williams is on the left tackle, he would be the one going up against the Bengals' best defensive edge player, Trey Hendrickson, number 91. And that's going to be a matchup. If Trent Williams is able to go, that'll be a good matchup of two elite players at their respective positions. Trey Hendrickson for the Bengals on the edge rush, going up against Trent Williams, the elite left tackle. Hopefully, Trent Williams is able to play just because I want to see two good players going up against each other. But if Trent Williams isn't able to play, then we could see some pressure for the Bengals and maybe the 49ers aren't able to run the ball as effectively. The 49ers will also be without one of their Pro Bowl wide receivers, Debo Samuel, number 19. He has a hairline fracture of his shoulder, and he has missed the last... Two game, or he missed last game, and they said he's going to be out this game at least. They didn't put him on injured reserve, which is kind of strange. The minimum you have to be out for injured reserve is four games. So they're kind of implying that they think that it's possible that he could come back within three games or less. But if you've got a fracture, I don't know. I don't know how it works, but he's going. To, he's not going to play against the Bengals. That's all we need to know. No Debo Samuel. That's a big blow for them because he was a critical part of their offense, but they've got a lot of weapons. But that would be kind of like if the Bengals lost T. Higgins or Tyler Boyd. Maybe not quite as bad as losing a Jamar Chase because the 49ers have so many weapons. Like, Jamar Chase takes up so much of the Bengals' offense, that's not fair to say for Debo. But it is a very important part. He's part of their running game. The 49ers don't really have a secondary running back to speak of. A lot of it is jet sweeps and pitches and handoffs to their receivers that was Debo Samuel that could be taken over a little bit more by their now top wide receiver Brandon Ayuk number 11 he is also explosive with the running game but he's also their top wide receiver so they may not involve him so much with running the ball they've got number 15 Jawan Jennings and number three 
Ray Ray McLeod are also their receivers. And then they've got number 85, George Kittle, the stud tight end. Zach Taylor pointed out in his interview this week that George Kittle is from Norman, Oklahoma, went to Norman High School, and like George Kittle and Zach Taylor could have more opposite personalities. It's a shame that they both are from Norman, Oklahoma, because Zach Taylor, whatever. But George Kittle, he was talking about how he's good in the receiving game as a pass catcher, as a pass protector, and as a run blocker, which is true. He does all those things well, much better than Irv Smith or any of the other Bengals tight ends. And one thing that's interesting about the 49ers is they use a much different personnel group for the most part than the Bengals and most other teams in the NFL. The 49ers use the fullback position in Kyle Juszczyk, number 44, and they call it 21 personnel, 21 meaning two running backs, one tight end, and then two wide receivers. But the two running backs being Christian McCaffrey, the tailback, and Kyle Juszczyk, the fullback. They're able to use the fullback position in a kind of a hybrid role where he comes out of the wing, he kind of plays like a second tight end or a, another a running back, a wide receiver, a flanker. He can do a lot of different things. He's about 6'3", 235, 240. He's got speed, he's got hands, he can block. So it's kind of like a Swiss Army knife position that they use it really effectively. Not the same way that the Ravens use their fullback in Patrick Ricard where he's more like a just a, a second offensive lineman who can or a secondary offensive lineman who can kind of catch a little bit. Kyle Juszczyk for the 49ers is a much more athletic type fullback. But one of the things that's like the calling card of the 49ers is their motion, the amount of pre-snap motion that they do in terms of players motioning horizontally, like wide receivers going in and out, tight ends, fullbacks, whoever it may be. They may line up on the outside and go in or vice versa across the field just to get the defense to kind of react and adjust before the snap so the offense kind of knows what the defense might be playing, whether it's man-to-man or zone coverage, just to get the defense just to kind of show their hand a little bit. 49ers are famous for that, and that's Kyle Shanahan. He's the head coach, but he's also the offensive coordinator, play caller, similar to the way Zach Taylor does it for the Bengals, but even more so where the 49ers don't even necessarily have a designated person who has the offensive coordinator role. It's just Kyle Shanahan. He's the offensive coordinator, he's the head coach, and they're not even trying to fake it. Now, speaking of 49ers coaches, on the other side, their defense, their defensive coordinator is Steve Wilkes, who that name is familiar if you were following last year, the Carolina Panthers. He started off the season as their defensive coordinator, and when Matt Rule was fired as the head coach, Steve Wilkes took over as the interim head coach, and he actually won a few games, didn't quite make it to the playoffs, but considering how the team had started off the season, it was a marked improvement. A lot of people, including a lot of Panther fans that I know, thought that Steve Wilkes should have gotten the head coaching job instead of Frank Reich. But now Steve Wilkes is the defensive coordinator for the 49ers. Seems like he's 
much better off because the Panthers are still 0-6 at this point. But a lot of controversy was around the call at halftime of Monday Night Football last week where right before halftime, the Vikings were driving and it looked like the 49ers were going to be able to prevent them from scoring any points. They had them third and long. 49ers sent an all-out blitz. No safety help. Man-to-man coverage. Zero blitz, they call it. And this had worked previously in the game, and the 49ers intercepted Kirk Cousins. But on this particular time, it didn't work. Similar play, Charverius Ward, the 49ers cornerback, got his hands on the ball, but this time Jordan Addison was able to get it away from him and run all the way for a 60-yard touchdown. And all the reporters were asking, why would you play that kind of defense? Kyle Shanahan, you know, he defended his coach, but at the same time, he said that it was not the correct call in that moment, in that situation. He said, with 16 seconds left, and then he kind of, even later on Friday, said, well, I'm the head coach, so I'm responsible, so I should have called timeout. So he kind of walked it back. But Wednesday, he was like, yeah, that wasn't the right call at that time. 16 seconds left before halftime. We can't be running an all-out blitz. And, you know, the players still have to execute, but it was a bad call. And the players, they're not going to say, yeah, it was a bad call by the coach. But you see, you see this a lot of times. Like Greg Williams was a defensive coordinator who was famously panned for calling all-out blitz and it didn't work. You know, Rex Ryan, a lot of coaches, you know, whenever it doesn't work, people are going to second-guess you. Hindsight's twenty twenty. Obviously, if it had worked, they and they got an interception. They'd be like, oh, that was a great play call by Steve Wilkes. Two interceptions in the first half. Didn't work, but... Needless to say, Steve Wilkes is going to be under a microscope, under the hot seat going forward. The thing that was strange about that Vikings game is, despite all that blitzing, the 49ers did not get a single sack on Kirk Cousins. And he dropped back, he threw 45 passes, not a single sack. And I think that was the most a quarterback has passed the ball without getting sacked so far this season, maybe in the last couple years. But, you know, Kirk Cousins somehow was able to just navigate the pocket. They got, you know, pressure around him, but guys like Nick Bosa and Eric Armstead weren't able to get him, get to Kirk Cousins and sack him before he was able to get the ball away. So that's what Joe Burrow is going to have to do for the Bengals. He's going to have to navigate away from the inevitable pressure that's going to come and he's going to have to get the ball out of his hands quickly. Like I just mentioned, one of the guys that Joe Burrow is going to have to avoid for the 49ers is number 97, Nick Bosa. He's actually a good friend of Joe Burrow because they were teammates together at Ohio State, and I think they actually share an agent. Nick Bosa was a holdout for 49ers training camp going into this season because he wanted to get a contract extension, which he ended up getting and it was one of the largest contracts for a defensive player. But now he's you know, only got two and a half sacks after seven games of the regular season, and he finished last season with 18 and a half sacks. So he's only got two and a half. He's well under the pace that he had last year. So the reporters are asking him, you know, what's going on? How come you're not as productive as you were last year? Did that hold out or hold in or whatever? Did that delay in signing your contract 
have anything to do with your lack of performance so far this year. And he said in the interview, he's like, yeah, maybe it did a little bit because now things that I would have already worked through in training camp in terms of strategy and game plan and what I want to do, now I'm kind of trying to figure it out on the fly in the game and it would be better if I had already figured that out in training camp. Kind of interesting for a player to admit that. I guess it doesn't matter after he already signs the contract. But for teams, that's something to consider if they're trying to play hardball with their players and not get the not sign them to the contract. You know when they like kind of with a Joe Burrow situation where he signed it right before the season started. It would have been better to get that out of the way so he didn't have to think about it. Now Joe Burrow didn't hold out. That was the difference where he didn't really miss any training camp time. Maybe it would have been better so he wouldn't have strained his calf, but you never know. You know, who knows? But another player like that in the league is Josh Jacobs for the Las Vegas Raiders. He was a holdout all of training camp. He is one of the least productive running backs in the league. He's even less yards per carry than Joe Mixon. I think Josh Jacobs is somewhere around three yards per carry. And he was the leader in the NFL in terms of yardage. He was the NFL rushing leader last year. So another player who held out of training camp to get a better contract and now is coming off off to a slow start. Now, I can't blame these players because they have to get paid what they can when they can get it. And if that means holding out, more power to them. But it's just, it's kind of a lose-lose. I guess, I don't know if it's a lose-lose, but it's definitely a lose for the team and the the rest of the team mates who don't get paid and they have to play with a player who's not performing that well but Nick Bosa you know sacks don't tell all the stories so a player just because they're not getting a lot of sacks he's still impacting the game and the sacks will come if he still keeps getting pressures consistently that'll just come so hopefully the Bengals are able to contain him another player that they're going to have to watch out for is number 54 middle linebacker Fred Warner. Now I'm going to be watching him because he's probably one of the best, most physical middle linebackers in the league. We've we've already faced Roquan Smith for the Ravens and I would put Fred Warner right in the same class with Roquan Smith right there. I don't know. I can't really say which one's better. They're both excellent, but Joe Mixon going up against Fred Warner in the running game. Those are going to be some physical tackles at the point of contact because Joe Mixon doesn't shy away from contact and Fred Warner loves to hit as a linebacker that we could see some loud contact also number 57 Dre Greenlaw is another good linebacker for the 49ers and they've got number 29 Hufanga the safety I think he went to USC but he was an all pro safety as a rookie and as I mentioned they also have Charverius Ward number seven He's familiar with Jamar Chase because he was with the Kansas City Chiefs two seasons ago when they went when the Chiefs and the Bengals faced off in the AFC Championship game. After the season, or maybe it was before the Super Bowl, the Bengals reporters were asking Jamar Chase who was the best cornerback or defensive back that he went up against in terms of guarding him, and he said that Traverius Ward for the Chiefs was. So he's a he's a physical, fast, I think he's like 6'1", 195, somewhere in there. Big, long, strong player. It's going to be a challenge. That's going to be another matchup to watch. 
Jamar Chase for the Bengals number one going up against the 49ers defensive back number seven. Outside of Jamar Chase, we know that somebody else needs to step up offensively to be a weapon for Joe Burrow. We know that Joe Burrow, he's not, he doesn't discriminate. He can distribute the ball to lots of different open receivers. It doesn't matter who it is as long as they get open, but they need somebody else other than Jamar Chase to get open. So Tyler Boyd, T. Higgins, T. is really going to have to step up. He's been one of the least productive receivers in the NFL. I actually looked up his catch percentage in terms of complete passes per target, and he's getting like 39% of his targets completed, which is like bottom of the league. So he really needs to convert more targets into completions and they need more out of their tight ends. Irv Smith has not given them really much of anything. Drew Sample, Tanner Hudson, Mitch Wilcox, all those players. I mean, you know, they're good for like five yards per catch or something like that. But we need somebody who is more of a threat in the passing game. And then in the running game, there hasn't been much besides Joe Mixon. Shockingly, not very much at all. I mean, Travion Williams hasn't given them too much. And Chris Evans hasn't really seen the field at all. And then, unfortunately, in practice this week, the rookie, Chase Brown, for the Bengals, number 30, pulled his hamstring, and he's going to be out for the game this week. So that was unfortunate. And when we were looking to see somebody else maybe contribute, especially somebody from the rookie class, Chase Brown, he, you know, he's gotten like one or two touches maybe like one catch and one carry per game. That's been about it. He hasn't really had a chance to do too much. Now he's pulled his hamstring. He's out for the game. And for the Bengals rookie, offensively, they got Charlie Jones. He's on injured reserve. He was their fourth-round pick. Their fifth-round pick, Chase Brown, he's out with a pulled hamstring. That's, you know, their two top rookie draft picks because they went defense for the first three rounds. And Miles Murphy hasn't gotten a whole lot. D.J. Turner... He's probably been the best draft pick so far for the Bengals, second-round pick. Jordan Battle, he's starting to get on the field a little bit more. And I guess that's one thing interesting to watch is how much does Jordan Battle play in this game compared to Nick Scott, the other safety. Nick Scott, number 33, was the safety they brought in from the Rams, and he should have more familiarity with these 49ers. But his playing time had been reduced because he hadn't been playing very well and Jordan Battle had been seeing more increased reps. But overall, the Bengals' defense has started to come on as of late. DJ Reader and BJ Hill have started to look a little bit more like the players they were in terms of being run stoppers, getting pressure on the quarterback, making impact. They had been kind of quiet. So the, the defense, I'm not too worried about. The offense is where I'm a little bit more concerned. They haven't been dynamic at all. They're the least one of the lowest scoring offenses in the NFL and fewest yards per game in the entire NFL and dead last in running the ball. So the Bengals really need to figure out, you know, they got they had the week off to plan and prepare over the bye week, figure out what they were doing wrong and try to get some running yards with Joe Mixon, get that going and now they've got Joe Burrow, maybe he can contribute a little bit. Maybe they can go under center. That's the other thing that they haven't done at all this year. They've been entirely out of shotgun except for one play against the Ravens. The Bengals have run every other play 
out of shotgun. And when you do that, you're basically limiting and restricting the plays and the formations that you can run. And that limits what you can do in the running game. So if Joe Burrow is able to go under center a little bit, that could maybe open up the offense, give the Bengals play callers a little bit more versatility and some more options just in terms of what they can do and keep the defense guessing a little bit. Overall, I don't know which team, you know, wants it more, which one has a greater sense of urgency. Like they ask, I, I listened to the interviews for the players from both teams and they both said that, you know, this is a must win game. The sense of urgency is really high. They know that the opponent is really good. So it's going to be, you know, a very intense game on both sides. The 49ers are coming into this. They started off hot at 5-0. Now they've lost their last two games in a row on the road. So they're coming back home on a short week, though, because they played on Monday Night Football, and now they've got to play again on Sunday. So it's going into their home stadium. Now they do have a home field advantage more so than a lot of other teams. For some reason, the 49ers have like the biggest home field advantage in the league. I don't know if it's the the crowd or the grass or what it is, but that is going to be one of their other challenges for the Bengals is going into this. Now, if you're a Bengals fan, just you know keep your head on the swivel too because I know a lot of fights are known to break out at Levi Stadium. The 49ers fans are passionate to say the least. So be careful out there. You know, maybe wear a 49ers jersey just before you get to your seat, and then you can take it off. But anyway, it's going to be a good, exciting game to watch. Now, going into this game, initially, the 49ers were favored by 5.5 points. But then when it came out that Brock Purdy had a concussion, that dipped down, and the 49ers were only favored by 3.5 points. And then when Brock Purdy started to practice again, it started to creep back up to four points. I don't know what it is now. Maybe if he comes out and he's going to play in the game, maybe it'll go back up to five and a half points. But it's it's a little bit of a swing back and forth. But the casinos, the desert, is basically predicting the 49ers have a better chance to win. And like the ESPN analytics metrics or whatever say like the 49ers have like a 68 percent chance of winning so 49ers are favored by most people in this game but i think it's gonna be a close game and like i said bengals have so much rest they're coming off the bye 14 weeks or excuse me 14 days of rest to get fully prepared for this game and they've got everybody on both sides both teams are healthy but i think the bengals I'm not gonna call. I'm not gonna say that they're gonna win the game, but I think the Bengals have a good chance. I don't think it's gonna be a blowout. Let's say, I don't think they're gonna get embarrassed. I think it'll be at least a close game, a good, exciting game, and a lot of people are gonna be watching. That's gonna be the most important thing. Is it's gonna be the Jim Nance, Tony Romo, CBS game. You know, probably 20 million plus people are watching. So either way, you just want to see the Bengals look good on TV and not embarrass themselves. And I know that's what they're gonna do. They always show up big in the biggest spots like the championship game the Super Bowl and that's what this game is going to be outside of this the other big game that I'll mention real quick before we go is the I mentioned the Panthers Steve Wilkes they since since they got rid of Steve Wilkes they had the number one pick they traded up in the draft with the Bears 
And for some reason, they traded DJ Moore and two first-round draft picks to move up to number one to draft Bryce Young instead of C.J. Stroud, the quarterback from Ohio State, who I was I thought they should have picked with the number one overall pick. If you're going to pick anybody as a quarterback as number one, it should have been C.J. Stroud. That went to the Texans at number two instead. Now the Panthers and the Texans are facing off number one versus number two. This is going to decide once and for all who's better. No, I'm just kidding. Obviously it's not. But it's just, you know, it's a an interesting talking point for this week is these two high draft picks. There's a lot of controversy over who should the teams pick, who shouldn't they, who's got the better processing, who is actually better at football. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest here. Bryce Young, what is he? He can say he's 200 pounds. We all know that Bryce Young is like 5'10", 180 pounds. 5'10", 180 pounds is not going to cut it in the NFL. I don't care. And he's not even like fast or strong. He, When he talks, like his voice is higher than mine. He sounds like he's 12 years old. I don't know. But hey, you know, it's a, little, a lot of football to be played. So we'll have to see how the Texans and the Panthers do out there. But before I go, this is just a reminder to subscribe, follow, turn on notifications, give me a rating, thumbs up, all that kind of stuff so that we can help grow this show. I'll be back after the game with a recap to go through everything interesting. And hopefully we'll be talking about a Bengals win when they go to four and three and get back into this divisional playoff hunt. But until that time, I'm going to leave you with a who day and stay hungry for more Bengal Bites. Thank you.